I'm rather busy. Now he's going to move like right along to McGregor. That's his whole life. You know. So I think these two episodes were a welcome improvement over last week. Oh, yes. That's not hard to do, but... Especially the first one was, I think, much more tightly plotted. The, you know, sort of trope or the idea of the guy from Family Services coming over gave the episode yeah. a nice structure. And it gave it an actual ending, which I appreciated. And also the second episode, I feel like, had a really nice structure with the first Friday thing in downtown Kansas City. And also had a really strong ending. They're both focusing on an event and getting ready and the lead up to the event and then the event itself. Right. And the stress of it is kind of causing things to happen. And I like that. Well, that's kind of what they were trying to do with Toronto in a lot of ways. The tornado... uh, was supposed to be the big event that the entire episode was leading to, but it did feel kind of all over the place and very messy. Uh, yeah. Again, and in a way which went beyond, well, all the characters are in a fucked up and messy way and turn into unfocusedness. Yeah, and I, I wonder if the, I mean, you could, I think I said this last week, but but part of Toronto was like maybe the messiness was intentional, but I kind of feel like that's an excuse for, for excusing yeah. lazy storytelling or lazy plotting. And I don't know. I mean, we'll have to see if the events of of Toronto go anywhere because right now they're sort of all just kind of doesn't it doesn't really go anywhere except for the Charmaine plot. Yes. Um. You know, of course, Tara wakes up at the beginning of Department of Fucked Up Family Services next to their dead neighbor's grave, which yeah. is odd. And there is something going on there, which um I know Richard wants to talk yeah. about, especially a specific scene, but. Aside I mean, from she that, doesn't. There wasn't, even, she isn't even just waking up next to. You. I think she slept. She slept on the grave. Yeah, yeah. And and there's something about the house in this season that is mm-hmm. representing, in a way, I think, not only Tara's secrets, but primarily Tara's secrets. But I think also the secrets of all of her altars. Mm-hmm. There are things that are going on there that, uh, and it's an interesting choice for the show because in the first season, the altars were kind of, you took them at face value. You didn't really think that they had much of an internal life. You didn't really think that they had much of a, frankly, a life or a personality outside of when they were out of Terra. They they may exist as real, as quote-unquote real people, but they only exist when they're existing, if I, if I may speak tautologically. Like, right. in other words, when, you know, Buck is not progressing from appearance to appearance, but... And Maybe that, this se- this season is sort of suggesting that that is the case. I, I think so because you know remember when when Buck came out and said something like, or maybe even when it was he he was co conscious with Tara and, and said something like, I really need to get over to Tammy's and help her. And you know Alice had that thing about the secrets that she has. Yeah, there are things going on now that that make me think that perhaps this is a side effect of the fact that Tara is becoming more quote unquote integrated. I don't know. Yeah, and oddly and. They're talking about integration as the goal for Tara, but given the times that she is co-conscious with the altars is diff- is are very stressful and difficult times, and I don't know if the show necessarily uh, the what integration is is that a good is that quite a good thing? Right, I guess right. is the question. Yeah, because what exactly does that yes, mean? That's, like, that's... does that mean that? All of Tara's altars and herself are constructing some sort of new personality. Yeah. I, I don't think that's what that means. Yeah. To what degree do these people all live? To, I mean, are we going to, is it go, is the goal of Herman's head kind of a situation where you have all of these people advising Tara and she's driving the car? Or yeah. is she, you know, the show is going to go into what this concept of integration means and how Tara can be healthy. But for right now, that con, the, the, 
co-consciousness is a very strange and kind of difficult thing right now. Yeah, I would agree. Especially with the way Shoshana is. I yeah. Mean, well, sh- and Shoshana was was missing from these two episodes. Mm-hmm. We didn't see her at all, I don't think. Well, one of the things that this makes me makes me think about is um, in terms of the way that the first season episodes were plotted and structured as opposed to the second season, one of the things that I think is most different in this season is that Tara's alters are not the driving force of the episode. Yeah. They're not out very much. And as opposed to the first season where each alter sort of got an episode and that was kind of what was going on in that episode. So it may even be that the creative staff, Diablo Cody and Jill Soloway and these kind of people were struggling a little bit with, okay, we want to do something different with the alters. Yeah. We don't want to make this into a wacky alter of the week show, which I think is the right choice. Yeah. And it definitely could have gone that way in the second season. But I'm not sh- I think they're finally starting to figure it out now, sort of in the back half of this season. But I don't, and I think it's been a strong season. I'm not yeah. saying that I don't like it, but I do think there is an element of, they got rid of the structure. They didn't really know what to replace it with. And now I think they're starting to finally figure it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there is a clearer mystery in this season that they're, they're trying to figure out. Um, specifically centering around this woman, Mimi, around this house that Tara is building in the episode, um, in, in the second episode, uh, things like that. One that's, again, again, each season is kind of going to deal with Another possible explanation for why is Tara right, um, and whether or not that explanation will be satisfying for the characters or not. Uh, you know, it, obviously in the first season that turned out to not at all help her really. Right. Yeah. You know, right. it, it's not like she necessarily it, felt resolved after meeting with uh, what is Trip uh, Johansson. Right. Uh, it's not like that explained anything. And, and it's almost like she's making the same mistake over again, yeah. thinking that, well, that wasn't the cause. That wasn't the root of the issue. So there must be another like lower root cause that I don't know about that is really going to fix me, quote yeah. unquote. And that is something which I think the show is going to have to deal with at mm-hmm. some point. Well, maybe this is a good opportunity for us to talk about what, what you want to talk about, which is – well, I won't speak for you. Well, just, just say what you want to talk about because so, you are a co-host on this podcast and you have the ability to speak. Yes. Well, this is one of those fan theories that I always love. But there is a fan theory that Don Harbour, the neighbor, was having an affair with Alice. Okay. Now, if you remember the episode in the first season where um, – one of the Max appears at one of the neighbors and he says, Oh, you for, you know, you left something here. And Tara as Buck is passed out in the backyard. Yes. That was Don. Uh, in the, one of the early, in, I think the first episode of the season, Max mentions, you know, and then quickly changed the subject. Yeah. I was in his house once or twice the way, but the way that his conversation with Don goes, it's very familiar. Yeah. It's almost as if, you know, Tara as Buck or as other alters has, a P, you know, this neighbor knows all about the situation, about Tara's condition. He knows, even though he's a recluse, he's not unfamiliar with this. This isn't a, you know, it, it, it comes to the point where it's another annoyance, you know. Oh, your right. dog got in my yard again kind of a thing. Um, again, implies a familiarity with this. Um, and in this episode, we have this very strange moment where uh, Linda's going through some of Tara's paintings and she finds a picture of Don 
Tara switches into Alice at this point, says, um, I have the quote here, I wish I knew why it was so important to him, meaning Don, why we all went away. And uh, hmm. Linda says, oh, is that – who was that? Your neighbor? Don, no. Your husband? And then, you know, Alice gets upset and then Tara reappears. Right. Um, and then, of course, Alice comes out again later. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 and she's pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that Max has tried to kill her. But, you know, the – Don killing himself coincides with this period of several months where Tara has not – transitioned at all yeah and so the you know and given tara's again tara was sleeping on her grave on his mm-hmm. grave at this point it is very possible she transitioned into again the reason why alice specifically um one of the things i found very interesting is where do shoshana's dresses come from it's implied that they were just kind of hanging out in don's house yeah don who is not married um Don, whose house is stuck in the 70s. Don, who may very well have some mommy issues and has some of his mother's clothing around. Uh, And that's, again, where Shoshana gets the dresses from. And if somebody with mommy issues were to fall before one of Tara's altars, it would be Alice. Yeah, I think so. Well, it's it's an interesting theory. I, I know. I, I think that there is some some evidence for it. I, what I'm, yeah, I, right now I'm really still in the collecting evidence portion. But. The the one thing that I that that kind of makes me think. I mean, there's a couple things there. Number one is if Max knows about this, or at least knows some of it. Max also doesn't appreciate the fact that Buck was carrying on a sexual relationship yeah. with someone else. So the one hole in that theory for me is why would he be okay with Alice carrying but on a sexual Max relationship with, with the dead neighbor? Maybe Max he, doesn't know. Maybe he doesn't know. That that certainly could be. I think the other, you know, the other issue there is this idea of, you know, I don't know why he wanted us to go away. And yeah. I don't know what that line means. That is certainly not a theory. That's in the show, which implies that why Don, it was so important to him that we all went away. Right. Like Don knew about the altars and that line implies that Don wanted the altars to go away. I'm I'm not sure if I read it like that. I guess I mean important not necessarily that it meant that he wanted it but that it meant something to him that you know he felt their absence it was again it's it's a very ambiguously phrased uh a line to be fair yeah because now i'm thinking about it it could i mean it could be interpreted two ways it could be interpreted as don wanted all the alters except for alice to go away so he could have alice to Mm. himself if this theory is true yeah i think the other more more probable explanation for that line is uh, uh, Don was sent into some sort of depressive episode yeah. over the loss of the altars, mm-hmm. especially maybe even Alice, who knows, but it yeah. sounds like all of the altars he liked for some reason. Maybe they added flavor and color to his mm-hmm. life. They were friends, you know, I, who knows? Somebody right? who is reclusive, you know, meet somebody who is damaged in a way can, you know, appears every so often doesn't necessarily make obligations because, you know, Buck is maybe the kind of person who would come over for a beer from time to time. Right. Alex would have a nice romantic day with him, but clean his house probably. Yeah, but would not expect the responsibilities of actual relationships in a way. I actually think that that's. I actually uh, uh, that that makes a lot of sense to me, and that really tracks. And I think that if you look at the whole season as the arc of 
Tara undergoing this medication, yeah. Tara putting her alters uh, away again, really explicitly, I think in the, what, the first episode of the season, it is a shot of them, you know, from the uh, clothing donation booth, yeah. actually getting rid of all of the costumes for the alters. You know, they think they're done. They think that the alters are done. And by they, I mean, Alan, uh, yeah, yeah, Max yeah. And, and Tara and the, the kids. Family. And then of course, Don kills himself. And so if Don was having a friendships, relationships with Tara's alters, which, you know, seems like it may be the case and the disappearance of his friends and, and lover or whoever, yeah. um, sent him into a depressive tailspin and he killed himself, then that could be the precipitating event for the alters coming yeah. out again. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. there is, well, even, I don't know if necessarily Alice and Don were having a, a <laughs> sexual affair, but it, 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 I think there's evidence for the fact that the loss of the alters affected him greatly. I mean, let, let me, let me also make the point that there was a while there where Alice thought she was pregnant. That is true as well. <laughs> so yeah, she, uh, it is possible she saw herself as pregnant with Don's child. And, and you know, one of the things is that, that with the alters is they do, I think, they, they come up with justifications for why their bodies are the way they are. I mean, I'm sure T has justifications for why she has stretch marks, right? You know, yeah. like stuff like that. But to be fair, T also has a very cocky view of how hot she is. I mean, yes. I, I'm thinking especially the scene in the arcade, like, you know, she thinks of herself as a really beautiful 16-year-old girl. Yeah, yeah. So, but also Buck has this whole thing about his dick yes. being shot off in Vietnam I mean, stuff like that. So Alice doesn't really need to have any justifications for the body. No, neither does she does Shoshana you know we don't know what the fuck Gimme is thinking Gimme is apparently not thinking anything hmm. yeah I think that that's true and and you know to tie it back to these two episodes I think that you know Department of Fucked Up Family Services and Explosive Diorama you know again doesn't feature the alters a lot I don't think Explosive Diorama features them at all really it's Alice coming out briefly in in the first episode and it is I, I think that what the show is doing is something very interesting again which is using the alters in a way to under undercut or or sort of highlight the problems that Tara is having and using them in a very very interesting way you know again Alice coming out at the end of Department of Fucked Up Family yeah. Services Alice was always the one that was coming in swooping in when things were going awry and the family was spiraling out of control in the first season and, and putting everything back together and cooking and cleaning and yeah. you know, stuff like that ironing Max's jeans and now they have this you know, the tornado hits, the house is destroyed. They've got someone from family services coming because Max has made this very poor yeah. decision uh, based on no impulse control to go beat up this guy and things spiral out of control that way. You know, Max essentially has to put the house back together by himself. Kate's not being very helpful. Marshall's kind of being helpful. Charmaine's not doing anything except making paninis. And so he feels, and Tara is. <laughs> Which is probably is, the best thing Charmaine could be doing, by the way. Yeah, that, that's probably true. But. <laughs> But, you know, Tara's off, you know, fucking around with Linda P. Frazier. And then at the end of the episode, when things really start spiraling really out of control and, and um, uh, Courtney shows up yeah. and, and, you know, things are just not going well in this situation. And we do need to talk about Marshall's explosion again, because it's very similar oh to what God. he did at the end of the first season and setting the shed on fire that 
Alice comes out at the worst time and Alice is there almost to not even I don't think that Alice Alice is there to make things better I think Alice has her own agenda and she sees this as a heightened opportunity because the thing about Tara's um, altars coming out is they usually do come out at a time of heightened emotion yeah so Alice coming out at that point is Alice comes out as a fuck you to Max yeah and seeing an opportunity to come out seeing an opportunity to yeah, yell at Max to to really just mm-hmm. you know say fuck you to Max to to get across what she really thinks of him at this point. And Alice is scary. Yeah, yeah. I mean, first she comes out as a fuck you to Max as Alice again. It's a very scary Alice as an Alice that's almost fine. You need somebody to take care of the house. Here's Alice. Have fun. Right. Um. And then as a fuck you to Marshall, she appears as Gimme later. Yeah. And that's the this this is an episode in which the Alice came came and spoke to the teacher in the first season and that was what it took to smooth over that situation. But here's the thing with the social worker if Alice appeared that still would not be a good thing. It's not that Alice could smooth over the thing with the social worker. No. Uh, you know, the, 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 that they're able to pass Gimme off as a dog and that Charmaine is at, able to pretend to be, you know, mom for the hour is shocking in a way that, that it, but they probably could not pull off more than that. Yeah. Well, uh, let's talk about Charmaine then because I yeah. think that Charmaine is maturing a little bit in these episodes and she is a character that I still find a little problematic. But... Yeah. But the show knows she's problematic. Yeah. And I guess that, I guess, again, I, I think that's a big part of why she's a really interesting character because the – in a way, she's as fucked up as Tara is in a very different direction and way. Again, she's she's a pathological liar. She's somebody who doesn't know what she wants. She doesn't go for what she wants when she figures it out. She tries to – she doesn't take peop, other people's feelings seriously. She has not taken – Nick or Neil's feeling seriously in no. this situation at all. I mean, th- this episode really hit home how fucked up Charmaine's decision was. So she gets engaged to Nick. She decides – she suddenly announces, oh, I'm going to move in, in here and re-virginate for a couple of months. So she moves into Tara's craft room where she's doing her art. So Tara has to pack up all of her art shit. So during this time, we haven't seen her do anything artistic in a way certainly she's not exactly feeling inspired but if she had the craft room open she might at some point be bored enough to poke around and get some kind of you know therapeutic from that but and just incidentally i love the fact that um we'll need to talk about tara and linda p frazier's relationship but i love the fact that um linda calls tara on her shit specifically about about calling it a craft yeah anyway but while she's in the craft room, having taken away Tara's artistic outlet and insisting she's reverginating, she fucks Neil. Yeah. And then announces her engagement, you know, and she doesn't even announce her engagement to him till after they have sex. Is that? Uh, I think so. Yeah. 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 I think that was right. So from poor Neil's point of view, she just slept with him and then a week later announced her engagement. So, yeah. um, and I, I think that what it really comes down to for Charmaine is that, yes, she doesn't take other people's feelings into yeah. consideration. Yes, she is a liar, whether or not she's a pathological liar. I mean, you know, we can agree to disagree on that. But I do think that 
this is all stemming from the fact that Charmaine doesn't know herself yeah. and doesn't know what she wants. Well, she, and I don't think that she realizes that she's doing a lot of this mm-hmm. stuff because she is so caught up in this idea, especially that we talked about last week about her sort of perfect heterosexual life yeah. that, you know, falling in love with a little short schlubby, <laughs> you know, dumpy guy who makes her laugh. And apparently they have really good sex is Weird not mozzarella cheese body. <laughs> right. Is that that's not in the cards for her. She wants Nick. She, she well, she thinks she wants Nick. She's been sort of brainwashed into this in mm-hmm. a sense. And I think that she's kind of struggling with that now. And that's really what's coming up for her. She's acting like someone who's always going to get in trouble with somebody for feeling how she she kind of goes as somebody who was raised where their parents were sit up straight and, you know, don't don't very rulesy in a lot of ways. Almost. Yeah. It seems like if she doesn't do anything perfect, she has no value as a person. And again, being interested in Neil is not perfect. And so to be interested in him, she has no value. She's. Again, she lies as much as she does in order to protect herself from getting in trouble when, as we everybody knows, you know, well, you're adult. If you decide you want to be with Neil, there's no problems between the two of you. You know, you you and neither I, of you are married. You yeah. know, both of you are of legal age and, you know, your your family likes him. So there really are no obstacles here. And yet she's put all these obstacles for them. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I don't want to overplay this as well, but I, I, I do think that we have to remember that, you know, generally speaking, women are socialized to be yeah. more deferential, to to be the problem solvers, to be do a lot of the emotional labor, uh, more so than men, certainly, and that might be part of this too, where Charmaine is wanting Nick, is wanting this perfect life, is doing all of these things because she wants to to essentially make sure that everybody else that is not living her life is happy with her life which is which is a weird thing to do but that's kind of where this is coming from i think and there is an amount also where i mean the way she talks about oh my prince charming and that kind of stuff the way that she's always reading these you know women's magazine kind of things uh where she also wants to be with somebody who is very going to take very good care of her Nick is a, probably makes a lot more money than Neil does. Yeah. yeah. So there, there is – he has it more together. He's shinier certainly than Neil is. Yeah. And in a, just based on surfaces, he's going to take better care of her. Yeah. But of course at the same time, Neil does tell Charmaine to get an abortion. Well, which is very, very much what Kate <laughs> said to her too interestingly enough. But at the same time, which of the one is actually forcing – Charmaine to grow up and face reality. Um, Neil saying you are not fit to be a mother. Yeah. I mean, she really isn't fit to be a mother at this point in her mindset. Yeah, she's not. And I think also, especially in that scene with Neil and Charmaine, I mean, Neil, you know, she says something ridiculous to him about being selfish or something. And he just... uh, she, she, she yells at him for running away from his problems right. when he's just, Furious and needs to get the fuck out of the house because oh my god and 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 she also says well it's really hard I'm planning a wedding and Neil is is the kind of person is the kind of character that knows himself pretty well yeah and and has a lot of self respect I think and you know he may have some residual issues with his body or whatever but for the most part I think he's a pretty put together guy and. He scoffs at that. You know, he's just kind of like, how dare you? Like, that's hilarious. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean. For 
and maybe that's part of it. Neil has always we, – we see Neil calling Charmaine on her bullshit a lot and Nick doesn't. And that may be part of Charmaine's ambivalence to him because, yes, you need to be with someone who can call you on your shit. Yeah. Or, you know, who can still love you in spite of that, you know, and maybe even because of that. But yeah. who also is going to kind of force you to be that best version of yourself and – Nick feels very safe in that way. Nick is not challenging her in no, any way. No, 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 no. Neil is a very challenging love interest, and yet he is obviously the person who would cause her to – she can't be with, be with Neil and be bullshitting him the way she can be with Nick and be bullshitting him. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that you know that makes me think something else, which is kind of interesting about the way the season is progressing is, is that – you know, everybody in in this show has some pretty you know severe problems to to some degree yeah. or other, and w- what I find interesting about it is that everyone is sort of taking it upon themselves to fix other people's problems without fixing their own problems. Mm. Like you know, Kate takes it upon herself to keep harping on Marshall about breaking up with Courtney. Yeah. You know, Max takes it upon himself to tell Neil that. Charmaine's baby is his and not Nick's. I mean, that's a pretty, you know, I don't know how you feel about that, but I think that's probably a little beyond the pale. It's a little, it's crossing a line, but at the same time, it is, I I, I don't think there is anybody who, uh, any of the other characters who think that Neil should, everyone agrees Neil needs to know this. Yeah. Because Max's point of you're having the man's baby, he needs to know this. It's his right to know this is I, – I do agree that's a valid point and Charmaine is never going to rip that Band-Aid off until Max does it. I almost wonder if Charmaine is stalling just enough because she knows Max eventually will. Yeah, I don't know. I mean I think it's a hard thing to say because it's wrapped up in gender politics and it's wrapped yeah. up in the – you know, there's a lot of stuff in there. I mean Max but, is not being uh, – Max is not my favorite character this season no. and Max is being – I mean I understand he's under a lot of pressure and there's a lot of shit going on in his life. But you know, at the same time, I don't know if he's handling it that no, well. No, Max is handling a lot of things very at, – at this point he beat up a guy. He says a secret that – Maybe he doesn't quite have the right to tell, although, you know, Neil is his best friend. The two of them do have a, in a way, they have a stronger relationship than Max and Charmaine do. Yeah. They, you know, they've known each other. uh, What doesn't Neil say? Oh, we've known each other 47 years or something like that. Um, 89 years. Right, right. Um, I, I think Max does have some sort of friendship responsibility to tell this he he does give Charmaine as many opportunities as he gives her several days worth of opportunities to tell this secret and she never does so finally all right you're never going to do this it needs it's time yeah um e- even as he even a minute before he's due, he says don't you need to tell him something that's a very clear indicator that it's now or never um yeah I suppose that's true but I mean, it doesn't go well of course but that's not no, surprising no um Again, whether or not it was the right decision, maybe not, but it's a very justifiable one. What he does with Pammy at the end of the next episode. Yeah, he doesn't really do anything, so we're not. He's about to. He's he's invited. He invited fights himself into the bar after hours. Something they're not just going. He doesn't just want a beer. He wants to get revenge on. Maybe he wants a beer and a shot. Hmm. Well, we'll we'll see where that goes. (laughs) 
Uh, well, I think the other thing is um, Kate in these two episodes, yeah. her storyline's going in a very disturbing place. And, you know, as someone who's sex positive and I don't have any problem with sex work, you know, it's kind of like fine. But it's also I don't think that she's really emotionally she's 17 ready for this. Well, and uh, also, again, it just again, all of this stuff is tying back to the idea that. No one is paying attention to anybody yeah. else except for when they think that they can butt their nose in and fix their problems. It's very, it's a very strange yeah. set of interpersonal, uh, you know, situations that are going on this season. Yeah, that because w- no one knows what the hell Kate's doing. Well, at the beginning, oh, well, I guess Marshall does, Marshall but does. at the beginning of um, of the diorama episode, uh, Tara number one invites her to this art crawl and. Kate Alba tells her mother to fuck off and then see what she is doing with sexualizing Princess Valhalla Hawkwind. Number one, she is doing it because Kate has the dollar signs in her eyes. Whenever she has an opportunity to make money, she is going to make the fuck out of that money. And so this is just an opportunity, random opportunity that fell into her lap and she has the opportunity to get a pink Vespa from it. So that's kind of where her head is at with that. This is an aside, but now this makes me want Netflix to bring United States of Terror back for a fourth season in which Kate appears on Shark Tank. Aw. No. <laughs> I don't know what she would invent, but I would buy it. I want a pink Vespa. I don't think you should ever have a Vespa. I'm sorry. When she so part of it is when she talks to the Shannon Tweed character and she's saying, "Oh yeah, you need to this is it's not the most glamorous thing. Yeah, it's kind of gross, but that put two through kids through school and you know I got a dishwasher out exactly. Of it. You know she 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 seems to be doing pretty okay as far as Kate can see. And you know at the I, same time though there is that no. very oblique line where she asks Max if the, there's any way the showers can be made hotter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and, and he doesn't even notice anything. No, she she's I think there is this is certainly Kate in a situation where as Marshall says, she thinks she's very clever and worldly, maybe more so than she really is. She thinks that she can do this kind of a thing and be untouched by it just as she thought she could, you know, have G- – I mean this is a version of Kate that has already gone through Gene and figures, all right, yeah. well, in that situation, I learned my lesson. Now, now I'm so much more experienced and so I certainly won't get myself into any trouble this way. But right. So there, there certainly is the financial. This is a skill that you know Kate can do, and she can get that magic bullet from Marshall, and again her pink Vespa. But also, she really moves forward with this when she sees her mother hanging out with Linda P. Fraser, yeah, and realizes that my mother just took my friend away. I mean, it completely makes sense in a way from Linda P. Frazier's point of view, Tara's much closer to her own age and temperament. And yeah. It, it, she, she's going to hang out with someone her own age. She's kind of done mentoring Kate to a degree. But one of the defining, the, the, the one kid who wants to go to Popeye's at the comic book shop, what's her superpowers? She doesn't have a vagina. Right. So how does... You know, th- that of everything was the empowering bit of Valhalla Hawkwin. So how does she say fuck you to Linda P. Fraser? She gives Valhalla Hawkwind a vagina. Yeah. She yeah. sexualizes her, which is the opposite of what the intention of the creation was. And yeah. again, that that's – it's it, it. she's doing that in a way that, she, you know, not with her eyes completely open. She may – 
she's doing yeah you know, she's doing something that may get her into trouble or whatever but at the same time she's she is dragging this character through the mud she is and i think that, i mean we'll see what happens with this this is still very much a a plot line in motion or in transition but you know i, I want to talk about linda p Fraser and Tara. yeah well, there's two big areas that we still have to, to cover. We have to talk about oh Linda P. Fraser and Tara. Are so many, there's and, so many things in these episodes. I know. And we have to talk about Marshall because what the fuck is going on with Marshall? Huh. But well, uh, let's talk about Linda P. Fraser first. Uh, I like her. I think the show yeah. is developing her character very nicely. And I, I like the fact that she is not this sort of representation of Kate's freedom that she perhaps thought that yeah. she was. Tara seems to really be latching onto her because I think that in a certain sense, you know, Tara feels a little bit tied down by the family as she yeah. also respects the fact that they have been for there for her for all of these years. She loves them, but she sees kind of what Linda P. Frazier is doing. Linda P. Frazier does represent a different type of freedom for yeah. Tara than well, she does for Kate. Both Kate and Tara are, in a way, using Linda P. Fraser as their escape, as the role. Yeah. She's a role, as much of a role model for Tara. Um, I mean, one of the things you said in the second al- episode, the altars don't come out, but Max even alludes to it. During the second ap- episode, there's an altar named Tara Crane. It, it's one that looks exactly like Tara, speaks exactly like Tara, has very much her mindset, is based on her, and yet this is a version of Tara that either didn't marry or separated from Max and, you know, is living with Linda P. Fraser this entire time. Whether this is a genuine alter or just her examining a different aspect of her own identity is, I think the show does a lot with the ambiguity there. And yeah. that's kind of the richness of that. I mean, we could but, probably have a whole episode just on that. I mean, I, I tend to think that Tara Crane is not another no, alter. I no, think it's she just is. Tara trying on a, a different artistic personality, quote unquote, or, or an identity. Yeah. And that, that, might, again, that might even be a good thing, right? That's I mean, something that, that we all do. Yeah, yeah. But again, when you are, when you have a mental condition, which is dealing so intimately with identity Again, muddies the waters a little bit. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think, too, that the other thing about, about Linda P. Frazier is that she represents pretty much the opposite of what Tara is in a lot of mm. ways. You know, she lives this sort of bohemian lifestyle in downtown Kansas City. She, sorry, I just it's cracked no, up all no. the time. Um, I don't mean to condescend to Kansas City. I'm sure it's great. Uh, a lot of barbecue there. But I'd love to have Linda's Loft. Warehouse thing. I, I think it's fine. I don't know. Maybe not in that in downtown I, Kansas City. Can't but. imagine how much it costs to heat, but that's <laughs> neither here nor there. Um, I do think that you know, I mean, obvious things, of course, is that Linda's black and Katara's not. That's kind of facile, but also, um, but that's what we track in here. Uh, but also the fact <laughs> that. You know, she doesn't talk to her children. She feels done with that. She doesn't have a man. She doesn't have a boyfriend. She doesn't have a husband. She had one. They kind of just, you know, got rid of each other after the kids were grown up. I like how she phrases it that once the kids were grown, we realized we had no audience and that was it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true for a lot of couples. Actually. Yeah. And so. And yeah, I know I have. There's a, you will, a ton of everybody whose parents are divorced. A lot of them happen when they were late teenagers, early 20s. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I think that that's really what's going on here is that, I mean, in a certain sense, Linda is playing a role for Tara as well. Yeah. You know, she is not, I'm sure it's not easy to be her. I'm sure she doesn't have a lot of money. I'm sure that she, um, you know, her life is difficult, but at the same time, there is a freedom to it because she's doing what she wants to do. And she even, even speaks to the fact that she does have some mental issues that are not the same as Tara's, but, um, she is able, she said basically, I think at one point in, in the second episode that, um, she feels much better living the way that she wants to live yeah. than she did if she was tied up with a family and kids. And I guess the question in Tara's mind that it makes me think that she's realizing at that point is, is that true for me too? Well, And that's kind of another question that the, the season is sort of progressing towards, which is, has Tara's family held her back from getting better? Or has it helped her? And I don't know what the answer to that is, and I don't know that the show knows what the answer to that is yet, but it's it's coming up, I think. Well, part of the... Has Tara been committed with a capital C? Uh, well, yeah, I think so, because there was that line in the first season where they say that the kids went away for a while mm. to, to the grandparents, and it didn't sound like... I mean, committed like against her will? Yeah. I, I don't know. Because I, I Linda P. So. Frazier says that she was, and... That's part of why she has a, at least a familiarity with DID. Again, she says, you know, when I was in there, right. it wasn't called that then. But she's did have she has a she's had at least one other friend who had this condition, and right. so she's able to deal deal with it very easily. Um, but I like that her Linda P. Frazier's condition isn't categorizable. Again, she says, "I've been called bipolar. I've been called depressed. I've been called." Um, you know, all of these things, and for her being diagnosed with a name doesn't really work for her as well as being able to be in her space, uh, being able to do her art, yeah. and being able to have enough pot to bring down the demons. As yeah. she says in the first episode, I don't like being there all the time. That's why I smoke so much weed. It's, right. That's a very we, – we have to – right now, Linda B. Fraser is a lot more medicated than Tara is. There is also – we can't necessarily make an equivalency between their conditions because it may be that just whatever package that Linda P. Fraser has, she is able to live as an artist more easily and handle life on her own. Yeah. More so than Tara just might not – Tara might be a little too ill in order to be able to do this on her own. She may, that, That's the – one of the things I really like is the ambivalence towards the family. She knows both that it's a safety net. Max is always going to be there to help her yeah. when she needs it, and she knows she will need it. But at the same time, she resents that. Yeah, yeah. And she does want her freedom. Yeah, yeah. Well, what do we think? Well, let's talk about the art piece that she does uh, and... Yeah, I mean, artistic criticism is not my strong suit. Here, well, so. here's my question. Both Linda and Tara's art, how seriously are we supposed to take, especially Linda's art, which is these words split up, war, den, past, oral, and what was the last one? I wrote it down. See thing. Like, it's a little college Yeah. And I mean, I is that the- intentional or is that just... I don't know. I mean, I think it's one of those things. I mean, it's like the Mad Men thing, right? Yeah. Where the ad copy has to be really good for you to believe that Don Draper is this yes, genius, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? And I kind of think that maybe we're not supposed to think Linda's a great artist. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, again, I mean, I, I feel like I'm condescending to Kansas City a lot 
all the time, but mm. she is living in Kansas City. Yeah. She's not living in Chicago. She's not living in New York. She's not living in LA. You know, so at the same time, I mean, it does only matter so much whether or not her art is good. She is still living the life she wants. That is that is also true as well. And I think that, you know, Tara is going transitioning, haha, uh, into a different version of her artistic self because of course she used to do these very sort of corporate horrible murals for people like she did with Tiffany yeah. in the first season and now she's doing what she wants to do. Is her art a little on the nose? Is that house a little on the nose? Sure. But I think that that maybe is what she needs right now. And I think Max also recognizes that. I mean, he says, I don't get this. This is shit. Well, you know? No, I would say Max is an asshole. At well, he work. is. but He very but, loudly calls it crap. But I think he gets it. And I think that that's mm. why he's doing that. Because I think Max is actually consciously or not lashing out in, in really just destructive ways right now. I mean, the art that she makes is very meaningful in a lot of ways. Number one, she takes, she uses as the skeleton of the house, the liar box, which we'll talk about in a second, but you know, which she fishes out of the trash. Yeah. She, the little toy in the maze of cheese. It's, I mean, the symbolic value of that cheese nips, cheese nips, uh, cheese nips. I thought were the little, uh, I thought they were cheese. It's too. Yeah, they are cheese. It's, I think that was an error made by max. He couldn't even fucking get the right product. Um, and of course he didn't get his check. Yeah. He messed that line up. That's true. Um, and of course this bicentennial flag, which Linda notices how much effort Tara put onto it because she was working with her with it. And it's all, but it's also significant that Charmaine immediately notices yeah, that yeah. she's the one who picks up on the effort that Tara put into that. There is a lot of, so yeah, maybe Max is lashing out at this because he's realizing how well his wife expresses himself. Maybe he, I mean, he must, he reads, he reads everything she's put into this piece of art. Yeah, yeah, which is why he he has no idea that she's talking to this curator at that point, but. What he does kind of sabotages her career in a tiny, tiny, tiny bit. A tiny way. I don't think, you know, the, but, I don't think the guy's really going to take it that seriously. But you know. No, but it's Max trying to ruin it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about Marshall then. Oh, Marshall. <laughs> you know, interestingly enough, I, I don't have a lot to say about Marshall in these two episodes. I mean, aside from his big blow up at the end of the first episode... He's figuring himself out. I think that I mean it is a little strange that like Lionel and 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 what is his name Manny Hanny Hanny and and Marshall are forming the little you know super gay friend circle of yeah Overland Park Kansas. Also, Hanny's like thirty, so it's that weird. well that's but, the thing. He's partially taking on a mentorship role, but he's getting a little too friendly with them in a he's getting way. a little too friendly with them he's doing drugs with them um and also i love the little detail that lionel takes down that sign and cleans it on his butt like that's gonna help yeah. him do drugs on it better like, what i think well what i think is again and again here is a overland park kansas city uh kind of a thing the drug that they're doing is adderall it's uh, i i had remembered honestly remember them as either doing coke or ecstasy but it's right adderall. it's adderall it's, yeah. it's a really which is a very weird drug to do in this kind of uh, <laughs> you know that a lot of people do it, but not for going to an not for going and looking at art. Well, they like, don't know what they're doing. That, I, I, yeah. which is the point of that yeah. scene. I mean, if it's one thing, Adderall is what you do if you're going to study or do a lot of work uh, right. for something. Right. Um, but then again, I mean, is Coke really something you want to do at an art show for socialization? I mean, and 
I don't know. I kind of, I mean, I've never done Coke, so I don't know. I've never snorted Adderall. I've never taken Adderall. Um, the only thing I put in my body stronger than that is peppermint tea, but uh, that's not true either. But um, I don't do drugs. Please don't arrest me. Um, is you that, can arrest me. Yeah, arrest Richard. Um, is that... Please don't arrest me. Coke and Adderall both are extreme uppers and make you sort of manic. So mm-hmm. I don't really know what the difference would be, honestly. I mean, Adderall is just kind of a slightly less manic drug not that it really matters it's like i I don't well it's the equivalent of we're gonna have a fucking crazy party let's get a six pack of wine coolers that's the kind of the the, i don't want to do that i i know and you don't want to do adderall either but uh like that that's the I want to say kitty drug in a way like yeah. that. That's kind of the... well. I mean, in a, in a certain sense, I mean, there is there is some sort of. I think Mar- it's obvious at this point that Marshall has some sort of attraction to Lionel. Yeah, and I think that Lionel probably it doesn't seem like he's aware of it or doesn't really ha- doesn't think of Marshall in that way. Perhaps um, we'll see where that goes. But it is kind of a weird idea that. Marshall is attracted to, and they have this really interesting conversation about the scale of gayness. And yeah. Stuff. Um, and it is interesting to me that Marshall, I think is kind of attracted to Lionel for a couple of reasons. One, because Lionel is out and Lionel is unapologetically out. And he, he's some sort of, you know, like you said in the previous episode, if it was the eighties, he'd be an act up. And also the fact that Lionel is, thinks he's more worldly than he is, yeah. thinks he's more mature than he is in the same way that Kate does. It's almost like Marshall sees Kate and Lionel a little bit. I'm not saying that Marshall wants well, to fuck his sister, but... No, no, she's the older role model in a way that he could... I I think I like the implication that Lionel and Kate don't really like each other. Oh, I don't think they like <laughs> each other at all. But Which makes sense because they're very similar people. Yeah, in a way, she's taken away his her. He's taking away her little brother. Um, I love that when he comes to her later, he's like, "Where am I on a scale of one to ten? She'd be just like, "Oh, ten. Oh, ten's the highest. Eleven. <laughs> like, like she's ragging on her brother. I like that. Right, right. And the whole idea of the scale of gayness is just ridiculous. Anyway, I mean, who gives a shit? But you give a shit a lot when you're fifteen. I well, guess it's funny. I was reading some comments on the AV Club, and they were like, "Why? Who, who do kids talk about?" I'm like, "You, you weren't fucking gay. Like, you, gay people are very, especially somebody like Marshall, who kind of was worried a little bit about appearing normal. Yeah, and Marshall's like a five. That's what Lionel let's let's said. have this conversation. Marshall's like a five. Lionel's yeah. like a seven. People, I'd say he's an eight. Really? All right. People don't know Marshall's gay unless he's blowing them. I don't think that's true. <laughs> also, he lies to Lionel. Where? Because he says that all he and Jason did a little bit of dry humping. There was no dry humping. I don't know if that was intended to be like a lie, or you know, or if. You know, they just didn't show two 15-year-olds dry hunting. No, I I don't think so. I think it was a lie. I think he's trying to make himself appear more worldly and sexual to Mm. Lionel because he wants to have sex with Lionel. All I know is Lionel somehow managed doing Adderall in a bathroom at an art thing even skeezier than it is. Yeah. Toot toot, Marshall. Ugh, no. Yeah, Lionel's not a... I don't oh, know. No. Lionel's fine. He's young, but he doesn't strike me as the kind of... He, he, could, he's he a, could go in a very bad way if he's that's, not careful. That's it. Lionel is 
is the kind of person who, you know, five years from now, he's either going to be very straight laced and stuff or he's going to be, you know, on meth. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think and I think and T, P, T by the way, living in a, she's a, a gutter punk in Seattle. I love that. <laughs> That's why she hasn't been around at all this season. It's so weird because it's like also there haven't been gutter punks in Seattle for probably like 15 years. It's all Amazon people now or Amazoo, I think, is what it was called in this episode. <laughs> yes. But, yeah, I think the last thing is to talk about before we wrap this episode up is, is Marshall and Courtney because that storyline is petered out. That storyline has gone, uh, yeah. you know, in a very uh, normal direction, I think. But and I don't know that there's much to say about it. I mean, Courtney's kind of crazy and she's 15 yeah. and she's just not, you know, m- mature enough to realize what's going on. She brings this liar box, et cetera, et cetera. I love the liar box. <laughs> it's such a great concept. <laughs> but really what what I want to talk about is Marshall's exploding at the end of the first episode because it is very similar to what he did a- at the end of the first season where Marshall tamps down his emotions, you know, again. Yeah, very similarly to how he was sort of not grappling with his sexuality in the first season, but grappling with his feelings for for this guy Jason, and you know then of course he sees T doing this thing with Jason, and every, it just explodes. And, and Marshall is that kind of personality where he kind of he's like pretends everything is fine, and then he explodes. And now of course the first like half of the season he's pretending to be straight or he's trying to be bisexual yeah. or whatever the hell he's doing, and now he's realized now nah, you know what I'm gay like this is fine, but. Courtney has kind of is this precipitating yeah. event for him to have this huge freak out again. Well, Courtney is not letting him break it. He does a lot of attempts to break up with her before the explosion and nothing is working. He, he says, I don't think we should see each other. I think we should break up. He gets his friends to break up with her. He gets his older adult friend to break up with her and none of it is taking. And finally, you know, when she... You know, she even says, oh, he was brainwashing right, you right. And, and stuff. He, she can't take the fucking hint. Exploding at her seems to be the only way she gets it. It's very unfortunate that she is just so intense. And But, of course, at the same time, I mean, this, you know, again, very similar to a bomb. A bomb is not a good way yeah. to injure one specific person. He just lets it that, fly. And there's, the, well, that's it. He there's doesn't, shrapnel going everywhere. He doesn't start. He doesn't stop with Courtney. He brings everybody in the family and especially his mother into it yeah yeah i mean marshall i think has a lot of issues with his mother that are unresolved and we'll have mm. to see if they get resolved well, don't we all really realizes it but um no not really i'm fine Aww. with my mother but it is you know that that is i mean there's i don't really want to talk about the content of what he says because it's not stuff that we really no. don't know already but it's more important to bring up for the fact that this is a behavior this is a pattern of behavior that Marshall is yeah. engaging in and, and it's it, not a healthy one and it's not a healthy one and and it's just something to keep an eye on i think yeah well that is it for this episode of tuning in if you would like to leave a comment please go to tuninginshow.com and leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash trekaboutshow, which coincidentally enough also supports our other podcast, Trekabout, the long-running Trekabout, four years strong and still going. Oh my God, gone. really? Yeah. Uh, we are wrapping up the, the seventh season of DS9. Our episode released next Tuesday is going to be about the episodes Once More Unto the Breach and The Siege of AR-558. Neither of those sound good, mm. are they? You'll just have to tune in to find out, trekaboutshow.com. Social media, we're on it. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our username is Tuning In Show and all those places. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review for tuning in. We would love it very much, and it makes us feel wonderful. Next week, getting to the end of the season. Just four more episodes of United States of Terror to go. 
And then we're going into the third season, which is also the last season of the show. We're going to be talking about the episodes, The Family Portrait and Open House. Mac, why do you... (laughs) 